Welcome to the Here Be Dragons podcast. My name is Brett Landry, and I am here today with Shayla Visser, who is the National Director of Alpha Canada. Alpha having its origins in the UK being a global movement. Uh, I know you give leadership to more than just the Canadian aspects of different things, but um, thanks for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. It's good to be here, Brett. Um, really excited to just ask you a few questions um, and tap into uh, the, your strategic leadership kind of mind and your evangelism heart. Mm. And, and maybe those things are more fused than I think. They're not separated by mind and heart. But um, yeah, really looking forward to it. Why don't you tell us just a little bit about your life? Uh, I know sure. both of us, we're actually reasonably close neighbors yes. uh, in the same part of the city of Vancouver. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I've been living here on the West Coast in Vancouver for 22 years now, living in Vancouver for the last 18 and a half right in the city, just a few blocks away from where you live. And uh, my husband is a Vancouver City police officer. He's the trainer for the canine unit. So we live in very different worlds. Uh, We have two children who have four legs. People always wonder what that means. We have two dogs and uh, they, one is a retired canine and one is an active canine. So they have tough names, Blade and Talon. Okay. And uh, I've seen pictures of those dogs. Yes. I believe. Yes, you have probably because like, like other people that have children, I don't have children. So I show my pictures of my dogs. Yeah, well, Blade. I think Blade's a famous police dog. Yes, he is. Okay. Well, that's that's fantastic. You have worked with Alpha Canada for how long? I've been the national director for the last nine and a half years, and I worked for Alpha International before that. Okay. You And now, just for, for some of the scope of what you're doing, how big is the, the Alpha Canada team, staff-wise and... You know, there's about 30 plus people working on the national strategy, but then we have another 12 that work on our global strategy. And we've taken what we've done in Canada that God seems to be blessing and anointing. And we have a team that then scales it up to give it to the world. So whether that's in digital or our youth or training or some of our leadership development, uh, we we just want to help everybody to get to know Jesus. And we're thrilled to help our Alpha family around the world. Now, tell me, Alpha has been... Uh, translated into a lot of languages and it's mm-hmm. been run in a lot of nations. Mm-hmm. Just give us some idea. I mean, maybe even for those who are listening who aren't 100% sure what Alpha mm-hmm. even is. Mm-hmm. Um, just tell us a little Alpha, what it is and how far it's gone. Yeah, so Alpha was started in a church in central London, an Anglican church, Holy Trinity Brompton, known as HTB. It was started there as really an opportunity for people who are seeking and asking questions to come along and learn more about Christianity. So we say Alpha is an opportunity to explore the meaning of life. It's from a Christian perspective. We create a safe environment where you can believe anything, say anything, and you can come have fun with us and uh, get a chance to have a meal together, then watch a talk or listen to a talk, and then have small group discussion. But it's quite different than any other small group discussion people are in where there's a teacher-student. We say it's like more of going to someone's house for dinner and someone's kind of throwing out questions but not trying to push anything down anyone's throat. And so our facilitation is quite different for Christians where we just say, hey, what does anyone else think? How does anyone feel? And people feel safe at Alpha. They feel like I can come in as an atheist. Your friend may have brought you and they come in, you come in and think, well, how did I end up here? But actually you enjoy it so much because there's hospitality hospitality, there's food, and there's welcome. And there's a place for community and to be yourself without being judged. So it started just as one church, one alpha, and it just exploded in 1993. And now it's in over 100 countries, 20 million people have taken alpha. In Canada last year, we had about 125,000 guests on alpha across the country. 
on just over 5,000 alphas. And about 50% of it is actually run by teenagers for teenagers or by youth leaders for teenagers. Yeah. I, I was talking with the, um, I can't remember his name right now, which is bad if he's listening to this. Shout out to Alpha Youth. Oh, like, Tim. Tim. I was talking to Tim about this. 400 alpha courses in was it in schools well, or you know, student-led we, we call it student-led. student-led we say alpha is being run uh, by students for their friends and they run it in all sorts of different places where they find themselves during the day or in the evenings or on the weekends some people do it in their homes some people have done it in a and w restaurants yeah. and we just love it i feel like this next generation that are the gen z's or the gen z's they are really showing us adults what it means to be bold for in their faith yeah. and and taking steps. I mean, the stories we're hearing, like a grade nine girl who says to her youth pastor, I want to run Youth Alpha. Is it just for grade 10s and 11s? And he said, no, you can. And she's like, but I don't know anybody else in my school who's a Christian. She prays and meets two Christians in her school. So she's Pentecostal. She meets an Anglican and a Catholic. She says, could we do this Youth Alpha thing together? And so they start praying and they pray that 10 girls would come. And do you know they had 40? Yeah. And oh. all 40 took it. And I just think, what is going on? I was a grade nine girl once. I would never do that. I was so worried about my reputation. <laughs> Did the boys like me? Did my girlfriends like me? You know, I just was not that kid. And so I just think this ne- next generation is filled yeah. with hope and passion. That's ex- It's really exciting. I mean, I, for me as a parent of a of a 14, 12, and 10-year-old, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about the that there's been youth in our church who have run it uh, in their high school. Mm-hmm. And so we know that. Um, we know that because we offered to buy pizza. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we said, if you run Alpha Course, we'll buy pizza. And they said, well, how many people will you buy pizza for? And we said, we'll buy pizza for as many people as are going to yeah. take the course with you. That's a very exciting thing for us. And so just talking with our youth director, uh, actually just as recently as yesterday about this and saying, you know, we need to build into our next year budget to make sure that we're actually empowering students mm-hmm. to do it. And so we have a plan to roll that out with our youth and uh, very exciting to see uh, our youth engage in that content and then even be able to engage their friends on site, so to speak. Yeah. So we're looking forward to that. We've, we've been running Alpha at Christ City now for, uh, I think, four years and um, I think we've run it reasonably well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen some people come to faith who get excited about that. And then I just spent some time uh, at the same uh, event in London as you were at, and you were leading a number of things there. And I, I felt like I learned a lot, had a real mm-hmm. uh, sense of, of being imparted into by the movement of Alpha and hearing how leaders are utilizing it in different global cities mm-hmm. and really saying, okay, I think it's time for us to ramp this up. And so mm-hmm. we have a uh, a plan in place in 2020 to ramp that up um, within our neighborhood churches. So we're just very excited about all of that. So I love Alpha because Alpha points to Jesus. Thanks, Brent. Well, that's why we love Alpha. In fact, we'd get rid of Alpha if it didn't point to Jesus. We're not the least bit interested in Alpha. Yeah. We are interested in the transformational power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we will do everything we can to align with that, to fuel it, to serve the church in Canada, to see more people know Jesus. So uh, the heart behind Alpha is to create, and so this is, our, our church talks about this as our mission. It's really just a restatement of the mission that Jesus gave the church anyways. That's that's all our mission statements ever do. But we talk about creating opportunities for people to encounter Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and we know that that doesn't mean simply for people who are not yet followers of Jesus, but we all need opportunities to re-encounter him that's on right. a regular basis. But in creating opportunities to encounter him for people who follow him and people who don't, it really actually creates the same environment. That's right. Uh, and so Alpha, though, is uniquely evangelistic in that way uh, and, and is designed, I believe, I mean, like you said, to create those spaces where people can come engage 
with whatever background they're from, with mm-hmm. whatever questions they would have. And it's a really, it is a non-judgmental space. You can come in and say, you know, I believe in this, uh, you know, alien race that mm-hmm. they did this and that. We'll go, okay, cool. What about Jesus? Yeah. And and all of a sudden it just gets turned a bit different. So it's been interesting to observe that and to overhear the conversations that go on. Help me and help us mm-hmm. understand how should we look at evangelism as the mm. church in Canada? You know, I think you've got me on probably my most passionate topic right now because all I think about is why do people not want to share their faith? What is it that's holding me back some days? What holds others back? What's happening in the Church of Canada from north, south, east, to west that we don't have congregations and people in, in churches that are saying, I, I just want to share my faith. And oftentimes you hear, well, I don't feel equipped. I don't know how to answer people. Uh, if you really get down to that, there's fear, there's reputation. Uh, I always remind people, no one ever died of embarrassment. <laughs> like you don't actually die from that, but yeah. there is that sense of yes. I could. Right. And I've been in that spot. So yeah. I really resonate with people that feel all those things. Like I don't have the right answers. I might say something stupid and screw it up. Like I actually could wreck it for God is some of the mindset, right? right? And we are really wanting to help change that conversation. And I think if people had a reminder in their from their church leaders, in their churches, that actually the gospel is that good and even better than they think it is, I think we'll start to want to be on mission more. And so there's first a heart change, is how do we remember that Jesus is that good or better than we've ever thought he was, so that we want other people to know this. Now, there's lots of people that are there, but I think they get hung up on all the the evangelistic thrusts that have been in our history. Like, I'm not Billy Graham. Okay, check. Hardly anyone is. There was one. Uh, There are people that have that kind of proclamation evangelistic gifting. There are other people who we know that just, they talk to anyone and they seem to come to faith. I have a board member like that. I'm like, how does this happen to you all the time that you see someone come to faith when you talk to them at a business meeting? Or it just, those are people with the gift of evangelism. But I believe the call for every Christian is to be involved in the mission of God. And what is a primary mission of God is he wants them to meet Jesus. And so when we look to the Father and we look to the Son and we look to the Holy Spirit, we say, how does this actually work in reality in our day and time, in our our culture, in our city? And I think Daryl Johnson, who is a local pastor, a professor at Regent, an author, uh, and a friend to many of us here in the city, he has probably the best quote on evangelism. And he says, evangelism is joining a conversation the Holy Spirit is already having with another person and you know you might think where does that come from and it it actually is all over the bible but i'll I'll quote john 15 verse uh, 26 and 27 but when the helper comes when the advocate comes whom i will send to you from the father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will bear witness about me And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And I think the church has forgotten that the initiator of all evangelism is the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit has two jobs, right? The Holy Spirit is, well, more than two, but two primary ones around evangelism is the Holy Spirit's job is to bring glory to Jesus. He always points to Jesus. And the second thing is he's active in evangelism. The Holy Spirit is always active in a person's life. Now, Brett, you and I know we have friends or family members where we think, are you sure, Shayla? Right. Like, I know this person. I don't see any fruitfulness. I don't see any interest. 
But it's actually a fact that we're told through scripture that the Father is always loving people and the Holy Spirit is always working. And so I want to help people understand that your job as a Christian is joining the conversation that the Holy Spirit's already having with another person. Yeah. And what does that mean? Well, it can mean anything. It can mean you're buying a coffee at Starbucks and you see someone having a bad day and the Lord says to you, encourage them. Or you could be at you know your local grocery store and you are walking through the aisles and someone is having a really tough day and you can tell and you stop and say, can I help you with something? Yeah. yeah. It can be you're talking to a family member, a friend or a work colleague and you say, you know, I see that this is going on in your life. Would you ever consider coming to church? It's it's an, a deeper awareness that we as Christians need to have of the work of the Spirit. Hmm. And, and it's only because that's what the Father wants us to do is listen to the Spirit who's translating and helping us to understand what is the Father doing in the world. And it's the Father's desire that we would know. And so I think if we understand evangelism is joining a conversation, then we'll get activated in it because right. it means we all can do it. Yeah. And so I'm just, my prayer every day is, Lord, what are you doing and where can I join you? Yeah. And come Holy Spirit. Right. And go to my day. And I can't tell you how many times I find myself thinking, really? Right. Okay. I'll say that or I'll do that. And I get it. It's a work in progress. Yeah. I am learning and growing. It's like a muscle. I go to the gym for the first time and I do a five pound, five pound bicep curl and it hurts. You know, over time, you can get to the 20, the 30, the sure. 40s. I don't go beyond that. But you start to be able to work a muscle at much greater strength. And I think that's the same with listening to the Holy Spirit and joining the Holy Spirit, what he's doing in the lives of people around around you. It, if you. If you have that experience of being used of God in a moment, in real time, in real space with real people, mm -hmm. and you believe and take that risk that one time. Mm-hmm it almost becomes something that's addictive in that mm -hmm. sense of, I now want to do that everywhere I go all the mm -hmm. time. And I think that's part of why people who are involved in this, it seems as though they get so much better at it. And, and you go, why aren't the rest of us like that? Mm -hmm. and so, because that person is at a taste of being used of God in that kind of environment. And they can trust that, Hey, even if that person rejects me, it's okay. Yeah. Uh, but, but what is the upside of it? I mean, so I, when I was younger, I did cold call sales. Mm -hmm. hey, I called people and I would say, you know, various things about it. I was trying to build a network that I was wholesaling in between anyways. It was all businessy sort of things. But you got to make a number of calls before you get somebody who, who says, yeah. yeah, let's engage in this conversation. And that rejection actually, it, it started to, it didn't bother me at all. But it's interesting how I don't know that that translated to my faith mm. because it's so near and dear and it's so important to me that it took, I think, longer to be able to say, look, it's okay if they reject Jesus and if and if that feels like they're rejecting me, yeah. I'm okay. I would rather take that risk of feeling that way. And psychologists will say that rejection actually is a, it manifests the same in your body as physical pain. Mm -hmm. And so none of us like to be rejected, but it, but it, what's the upside of not being rejected? What if they actually accept it? Mm -hmm. This is something that changes eternity and, mm -hmm. and it changes the course of a person's life. And anyways, it's, there's a, a massive upside to it, even if you just want to rationalize it out. Well, and it's joyful. I think evangelism is joyful. Why? Because you know, you're just learning to join God. You are not the initiator and you're not the evangelist. God is the one who's always initiating. He's always convicting. He's the one doing it. You're just, he's asking us to play in this field, you know, and, and in that invitation, it grows us in our faith. I think that's why it's a command. It changes us. Right. 
and it changes someone else. But we're not responsible for changing someone else. Right. And there's freedom in that. So, so you talk about invitation, even just just inviting someone. I know you said mm-hmm. along the way in 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 this conversation, um, you know, you're not doing that well. Would you consider coming to church with me? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've we've talked about this around Christ City at different points, but. We want to be go and tell people. Mm-hmm. We also want to be come and see people. Yeah, absolutely. And go and tell and come and see, and they work in tandem. It's not That's one or right. the other. You may be more comfortable in one, but you're actually called to both. That's right. Come and see Jesus and go and tell of Jesus. Uh, how have you seen churches effectively create that invitational kind of culture where where churches are, are warm and having normal conversations with normal people about what it means to follow Jesus? You know, it's it's true of every church I've interviewed or spoken to, every church leader, that there are some characteristics of a church that seeing uh, people on mission in greater measure than other churches, and it comes down to the heart of the senior church leader, really? which is always hard to hear. Yeah. Uh, but... This is what I've learned from interviewing. That's a scary feeling when you're the senior church leader. Yes, that's right. And so I say it with great love and affection and sympathy for church leaders to say that um, the church leaders that they themselves feel restless for people that aren't yet in in the church is actually a motivating factor for the rest of the church because then it leaks everywhere. It leaks in staff meetings. It leaks in prayer meetings. It leaks in sermons. It's always coming out of the church leader's heart and mind because they're they're not just thinking, wow, look at these people we have here on a Sunday and we're growing. They're thinking about the 10 blocks they drove to church about all those people cutting their lawns, the kids are playing in the park or they're at the hockey arena or they're on the soccer pitch and they're thinking none of those people are coming to church or care what we're doing on Sundays. So the church leader has to be quite restless about it themselves because then it will leak. I think the second thing is that there's a relentlessness to the church staff and the senior pastor to say, we're going after this. It takes more money, more effort, uh, more time to actually engage with this and to shift the church and the lay people's understanding of what it means to be on the mission with God. And, and he, he is the initiator. We are joining him. And I think the relentlessness of a senior pastor to really push it forward is, is monumental. Hmm. One of the key things I do talk about is what we celebrate at the local church. Right. And I think it's really important that we don't only celebrate the successful, hey, Joe invited his work colleagues, she came to Alpha, she became a Christian on the Alpha weekend, and now look, she's getting baptized, let's celebrate Joe and the woman who came to faith. And the whole church thinks, that's amazing, I'm not Joe. Right. And so we have to actually celebrate and learn to tell stories mm. of, let's call her Sally. Sally invited four work friends, but none said yes. Sally could be really disappointed and feeling quite despairing over her lack of ability to convince anyone to come to Alpha or church or whatever. And yet she has been faithful. Yeah. She's done her part. Yeah. But I think at church, we elevate those who have been successful at it. Or we get the evangelist to teach on how to do evangelism. <laughs> and, and what it happens is everybody in the church thinks, well, that's not me. And so I really think church leaders need to get wise to this is what am I celebrating? Am I celebrating what God's doing or am I celebrating what the human's doing? Mm. And if you celebrate what God does through a human, which I think most church leaders are trying to do, make sure you're celebrating both the times that it looks outwardly successful yeah. and the times it doesn't. That's such a good word. That is such a good word because the... The, the struggle that people feel, it's almost like a new, a new legalism or a new moralism, especially within the missional church movement. Yeah. 
it, it can turn into a new a new kind of legalism right. where it's like, well, have you done this? And have you done this? And have you done this? And you're kind of like, hang on a second. When did we become the doing group? Yes. Only. Yes. Or, or first. That's not actually our metric. Uh, if our hearts are aligned with Christ and the Spirit is at work in our life and we do want to relate to the Father in a way, our heart will be lit of flame for those who mm-hmm. don't know him and we'll do those things. Right. But yeah, we can invert that so easy and it becomes uh, another box to check on your spiritual to-do list. And it's just not, it's not the way to go about it. And that's why I think coming back to that prayer every day of Lord, what are you doing today? And how could I join you? And in some t- sometimes that will look like in your workplace, for example, oh, I should choose integrity here, or I'm going right. to work a little bit harder today, or I'm going to help someone who's struggling today. But it also can look like invitation. Come would you like to come or can I pray for you? Or would you like to join me and check out Alpha? There's lots of ways, but the heart posture is where it starts. God, what are you doing today? And how can I join you? Come Holy Spirit and just guide me. Let me have eyes to see, ears to hear what you're doing around me. And you know what? If you start praying that every day, boy, you start to see things. Say that prayer again. Say it again for us. I say, uh, Lord, what are you doing today? And how can I join you? Come Holy Spirit. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, so that I can join you what you're doing around me. And if, honestly, if you pray that every day, your world will shift. I can guarantee it. I've been praying it. And I think, really? That's what you want me to do? Yeah. And it it, it makes you slow down, too, because I work hard. I run fast. I have a very full schedule. But when you're praying that, during the day, the Holy Spirit reminds you to look at people, to see things, to not be, you know running through the grocery store so fast that you don't even notice anyone or going to the dentist and not even saying, hello, how are you? Just jumping in the chair and you're off into your dentist appointment. Yeah. It, it actually forces your heart in a really profoundly good way to align with God. And he then in the day answers those prayers and he will cause your heart and your eyes and your mind to cast to someone who you could encourage or come alongside or choice you could make in your day. Now, before you joined the staff team at Alpha, what did mm-hmm. you? What were you involved in? So uh, I have, since I was in my early 20s, been involved in evangelistic work of one sort okay. or the other. So I've been in vocational ministry. Before that, I come from a business family. Yeah. We're always interested in business. Still am very interested in business. But I did two years working downtown Toronto before I went okay. into vocational ministry. So I've been... 20 plus years in evangelism ministry. And sometimes I think, you know, you, you're saying what you're saying and I say what I say and I, I do hear this back and I try, to, I try to get ahead of this when I'm speaking about these type of things or even just sitting down with someone. Your role and your work mm-hmm. is the easiest place in the world to share the gospel uh, except for mine. Mine's easier. So you and I are in these environments where we're surrounded by people who love Jesus and actually for the most part, I actually probably think both of us are pretty great. Mm-hmm. So people who work with you, I know some of them, and they go, oh, she has, she's the greatest. I really love working with her. She's been such a great mentor. She's an incredible leader. And, they, and they're like, they love the things you love mm-hmm. because they serve the God of the Bible yes. like you do. And I have that same privilege. Um, but like you, I didn't mm-hmm. always do this. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a perspective that, that I, I wish some of my pastor friends would take six months off of pastoring. Mm-hmm. And jump into some role somewhere in the marketplace and go, these are actually the conversations that yeah, happen. That's right. And I even think, though, Brett, for pastors, um, people in vocational ministry like you and I, I realized a couple of years ago, I had a bit of a little crisis. It wasn't a public crisis. It was like a little private crisis between me, my mentors, like I was saying, 
I am not spending time with non-Christians. I realized that my work, all my time was with my staff. I was speaking to pastors, meeting with pastors. I was like, oh my goodness, all I talk to all day long is Christians. My husband's a Christian. We come home and we both love Jesus. And I suddenly realized that I was no longer living out what I was teaching other people to do. And you know what became my conviction? I used to have an excuse. Well, no one seems to be interested. I can't get my neighbors' names. I don't even see them hardly at all. (laughs) Partly because I'm traveling, partly because they park in their back lane and I don't ever see them. But I made excuses for myself. Well, Shayla, you're doing kingdom work. And I think we as church leaders, pastors, people in ministry have to say to ourselves, that is not acceptable. It's not acceptable. And so I had to really live through that conviction. And then I realized my heart attitude was, I don't know who's really interested around me. And then I realized I had stopped having faith for evangelism. Wow. And it, I had lots of faith for other people, but not faith for me. And so I started praying and saying, God, I believe that your harvest is plentiful. That's what you tell me in the word. Yeah. Would you show it to me? Give me eyes to see, ears to hear where your harvest is. Because... I am on a plane so much. I'm in all these Christian meetings. I don't want to be. I want to have time for the people you want me to to have time for. And you know what? As soon as I started praying that, and then later as I started praying this, God, where are you at work today and how can I join you? The opportunities I have have increased. And whether it's talking to a neighbor casually or and getting to know my neighbors or whether it's on a plane or in a wherever I find myself... I'm really trying to have my eyes open to the harvest. And when you believe the harvest is there, you just haven't seen it. You start to see it. Yeah. That's it. Amen. I mean, but, it's you, but you have, what I like, what, what you have to work at this. Pray oh, to ask yeah. God to open your eyes, especially yes. if you're in a Christian bubble and you don't have to be working in Christian ministry to be in a relational Christian bubble. That's right. A lot of our churches are. A lot of our churches involved in that where they're just locked into a, a, a basic group of people that they spend all of their time with. It's usually family, extended family, and friends, and most of them love Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the ones who then don't, you don't build as deep a relationship mm-hmm. with. And it's a lot of work to focus on maintaining. And you know, for me, working at a, a church, my wife works half time here. Uh, thank God her other half time is not working with Christians. Mm-hmm. And so we actually do get some relationships. Mm-hmm. And for us, it's leveraging the relationships of being present at the schools where yeah. our kids are involved and uh, being involved in, in just different things that are outside of our normal, but the, but they're intentional things. If it's not done by design, we will default to an insular Christian environment. That's right. Yeah. And that is the church in Canada and lots of places. Okay. They have the right heart attitude. They want to see people come to faith. They're desperate for it. But what they don't realize is they have easily become internally focused. The church easily becomes older and inward focused. It's the movement of the church. Mm. But what we have to all fight is we have to move outward and younger to reach the next generation. And that's just, you are always fighting the tide then. Every church leader has to fight the tide to do that. And it is hard work. And as you know, as a church leader, it gets tiring. And when you know every day you're going to fight for people that aren't in your church, when everybody in your church is fighting for your time, your opinion, your (laughs) expertise, how do you fight for the people who don't care that you're not fighting for them? Yeah. Yeah, you it's, know, it's, it's, they don't need you to. They no. think, who cares, Brett? Don't fight for me. I wouldn't care. But actually, those are the people that need you no. to. So they don't scream for your attention. They don't cry out for help from the church. They don't even think your church has anything to give them. So that's that's the tension of being a church leader. 
And it's so that's so good for us to hear. I'm thankful that you trumpet this message everywhere you go, and and I'm thankful for the way that you do that. I, you talk about getting younger and going out. We've mm-hmm. talked a lot about the outward movement of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about the younger. I know a lot of your team mm-hmm. are uh, are the quote unquote millennials, mm-hmm. and you've spent time pouring into them, mm-hmm. uh, engaging with them. Our team is very similar. Um, in fact, I am on the on the upper edge. I'm, I'm, I'm what they, apparently now I'm told I, I'm called an elder millennial. And so I just get in, uh, just by the skin of my teeth. I wasn't raised in a way and in an environment where I think I really identify with a lot of the younger millennials, mm-hmm. but I am in that age group, which, you know, I have enough gray hair that one must, one must question how old millennials are now. What have you done, um, in leading millennials, working with them that you've seen effective and that has, has borne fruit in your ministry? Well, first of all, I know in lots of circles, millennials can be a bad word. Like people roll their eyes and I just think that's so wrong. I agree. I agree. It's such a problem. In fact, I think we have to stop right now and confess that we've been like saying bad things about millennials. When millennials comes out of my mouth, I mean it in a beautiful, positive, life-giving, passionate way. Millennials run our church. Yeah. I mean, they, they are on staff. They are elders. They are deacons. They are people who are volunteering in every, literally every area of ministry we have. They're the engine behind the forward advancement of Christ City Church. So it's always interesting to me when I hear somebody complain about it. I was in a denominational meeting where, uh, I think I can share this one. I was in a denominational meeting where they talked about the millennial, the problem with the millennials. And I'm sitting there and I've eventually said, you know, I actually fit into that category of age. And they went, oh, really? And I said, yeah, Mm -hmm. also... Our whole church. Also, if you do a, a survey of the growing churches in our denomination, you would find most of them are led by and and are really driven by this group that you're disparaging right now. Mm-hmm. So perhaps let's change the narrative on it, like yeah. you just said. Well, so when I, I, I speak about this, about empowering millennials, and when I am in the room, you've often got people that are older than millennials and millennials. The millennials are like, yay, we can't wait for you to hear t- trumpet empowering us. And the older people are like, how on earth do we do this? And why has it not been working? And I I say a few things, but one of the main things is, have you realized how to harness all their potential and passion? Millennials don't want to be put into a box. So the way that I describe it is, if you want a millennial to succeed, you need to give them some parameters to to, um, play within. And I think of those parameters as being values and outcomes. Can we agree on the values? So this is how we do it. This is what we believe. And if you cross these values, well, you're in big trouble. Outcomes are agreed upon in advance to say, this is what we want to do. And then we say, now go play in this box. But funnily enough, my generation, so I'm a Gen Xer. When I started out, the box was like the tiniest little sandbox ever. And then as you had experience, they made the sandbox bigger. And what's happening now is that Gen Xers or boomers or even builders that are still around are trying to start that way again and saying, here's your tiny little box. And no millennial wants that tiny little sandbox. And so I'm trying to tell them, give them the big sandbox. And funnily enough, one of the the millennials I was telling this to who I've worked with for years says, we don't want a sandbox. We want an entire playground. <laughs> and I think that's right yeah. is they're saying, we don't want to start where you started. And some people find that offensive, but it's actually because they have such great dreams. They have such great passion. And actually they're very skilled. They've grown up differently than I did. Yeah. So when, when we first dreamed about Alpha for Youth, it was Jason Ballard at the end, age of 23 coming to me and pitching this idea. 23. And he's like, 
I think we should do this. Here's why he's been, he was a youth pastor. He, he had run a youth ministry. And I'm thinking, who is this guy at 23 that thinks we should do this project? I'd only been the national right. director for a few months. He wanted to, you know, spend money we'd never raised before. He wanted to do something no one in the world had ever done. He wanted to use our reputation to do it. And he thought I could help lead it. And I've just been in the job for six months. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. But the more I prayed and saw the potential... Yeah. Well, now, you know, it's 40 countries, 20 languages. It's the biggest growth factor for Alpha around the world, all out of the heart of a 23-year-old. And I would have never come up with the idea on my own. I would have never been able to pull it off on my own. It really was birthed out of the heart of a millennial who is a tremendous leader and brought others around, including Ben Woodman. And so you see it flourish. But I can tell you right across the organization, as you give them space to own something, they own it and run in beautiful ways. Yeah. So it's it's the size of the sandbox, and we say, give a big one, and they would probably push me and say, give me a playground. Yeah, and it's the audacity it is. Of, of the millennial that I think can cut against the grain, and it can come off really wrong, mm-hmm. especially in the church. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be humble. We're supposed to you know mind our business. We're supposed to be the people who wait for our opportunity to be given to us in that sense. And I think there's a large group of the church planting movement that we're a part of that has come from some of those impulses and not being given room to move. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's I, I think there's a negative aspect to that where you're not given the playground or the sandbox to play in. And so you go, well, I'm going to take my toys. Yep. I'm going to go build my own. That can go really badly and mm-hmm. that can go really wrong. Uh, but there's there's... There's this also, there's a redemptive edge of it yeah. that says, no, I want, and so we see it in Vancouver with the startup culture, the entrepreneurship. I mean, exactly. it's, it's just a bunch of people who, it's not just in the church. This is no. something that transcends that and, and goes right across the board culturally. Now, I don't know if any of us are ever going to have retirement funds or anything like that, that some of the boomers and builders were concerned about, mm-hmm. but you know, there's also the, the, like we're living in a certain sense, there's living for the moment, but needing to have the freedom to do it your way. That's right. And so when we talk about hiring staff here, and, and we've, we've talked about this openly before, um, I've said, uh, if I have to get a timesheet from you, you should not work here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. Like if I need to say, please submit your timesheet so I know that you did something this week. Uh, we've, we lost the plot. We, we should have hired, we should not have hired you to do this. And so we talk about, um, you know, I I read this in Harvard business review, like 50 years ago, it seems like, but it's hire slow, fire fast. Mm -hmm. And, and so what, as we build our team, we actually apply that not only to staff members, but volunteers. And when we have not applied that properly, it has been a massive error that has cost us dearly. And yeah. so we we hire slow, we fire fast. In that sense, we we are slow to lay hands on people if we, we use a biblical image. We're slow to put people in positions of authority, uh, but we're also very quick to remove that if it's not going well. That's right. For the health of the whole body. That's right. And so working with primarily millennials, I actually use, I, I was laughing while you were saying it, I didn't know... You talk about values and outcomes. I, I say, look, here's the, I literally will say, here's what, here's how we make decisions. And let me paint a target on the wall for you. Mm-hmm. And I want you to hit it. I just don't care how you hit it. Mm-hmm. One of our staff, I mean, I don't know if, if we need to send him to a sleep therapist or, I mean, he works at weird hours. Yeah. Too many creative types hanging mm-hmm. around here. And he's just like, during the day, he's, he's not great. Like he's really, and he would mm-hmm. say like, he's not on his, on his game really early or really late. Mm-hmm. And he, he happens to be married to someone who's okay with him working really weird hours. Mm-hmm. And I go, here's the target. I don't care yeah, how you hit exactly. it. Exactly. Just, just hit the target. And I think we get so fussed about 
are they here on time? Are they leaving on time? And I care about those things yeah, as a boss. Too. I really do. Yeah. But you have to be willing to navigate that in a really relational way. And I think the two things millennials are crying out for, for those of us who are older and, and leading them, they want a great vision. Yep. They want an audacious vision. They're like, what can I give my life to? Yes. And if I can give my life to that, and the target can't be achievable in terms of the biggest target. It has to be like, God only could do that. Or that would only happen if we had 20 other staff, but right. we don't have 20 other staff. Or that would only happen if we had five more million, but we don't have five more million. Okay, well then how are we going to do it? And they love the audacious vision. They want it. They crave it. They want to follow a leader with audacious vision. The second thing that they really want is they want an authentic leader. They, I grew up with leaders that you never knew they had problems. <laughs> like, and if they had problems, it was really minimum. Right. And I'll tell you, my staff know I got issues. Like, there's no surprises there. They know when I failed. They know I repent if I need to. I apologize when I need to. And they know when I'm kind of messed up and not doing well. They know when I'm overtired and a bit grumpy. Um, they rally around me and I rally around them. But there is no... Uh, falseness between us because they don't want me to have all my act together. Now, I wish I did. I'd like to be the leader who <laughs> really too. had it all together, <laughs> right. but I'm not. And they don't want me to. I think they wouldn't like me if, if I had it all together. I, I, I completely duffed a sermon a couple weeks ago mm -hmm. and I don't normally duff entirely. Yeah. And I, I think I preached it three times at our South Van gatherings and then, but I also preached at our East Van. Uh, pre-launch meeting and I was just terrible like it was a it was as bad as I've ever preached oh, I had those moments and and it was the it was the end of the day it was an afternoon thing I had stuff going on in between and I, I was coming out of surgery and I didn't feel well and I'm like but I wasn't paying attention to any of that mm -hmm. because I tend to get hyper focused and not realize that I'm not doing well mm -hmm. until too late and so I went into the into the gathering and I, it was not good and I, I finished up and I, that is that was terrible like that was terrible, yeah. but you know the people who came around and encouraged me, because I, I was just like, oh gosh, I'm like I said to the well, I said to Jake, who's our our East fan. Some of the people listening to this were probably in that gathering, mm -hmm. and, and, and they're, they're gonna, laughing, and they're going to laugh they right now because they're like, yeah, that was not you at your best. Uh, but I said to Jake, I'm like, man, I'm really sorry. Like I I think I I was terrible, and he's like, you weren't terrible, and but but it was just like, hey, we can be honest with each mm -hmm. other. I'll let you know when you're terrible. Yeah. And yeah, that wasn't your best, but it was still, it was an encouraging way. And I, I honestly, I don't know how to lead not being like that. And I think yeah. maybe some of that is just generationally too, but I, I just, so. I honestly don't know how to try and present a, an image that's not accurate mm -hmm. because it seems like so much work. Like, I don't want to manicure a vision or a, a version of myself publicly that isn't true. I mean, this is, you know, our church knows there's... There's a, they know that we've had issues in our marriage. Mm -hmm. They know that I've been on antidepressants. They know mm -hmm. that I've, my therapist really brought me out of the dark. <laughs> they know that I've gone to, I mean, medical things oh, yeah. and they, they see it all go on and you just go like, hey, here it is. Yeah. And yeah, there's something compelling about that. You're right. And it's not, I don't do it because it's compelling, but when you find out after the fact, you know, I was just talking to, to a, a pastor who said, this person told him when they came to faith and, and they didn't come to faith because the outline of the sermon was so great. They didn't come to faith because of anything he actually said in his sermon. Mm -hmm. he, this woman came to faith and wrote to him and said, I came to faith 
when I heard you reading God's word out loud and the joy that you had in the midst of it and all of the other negative things going on, I saw that it was real to you mm-hmm. and that made it real to me mm-hmm. and it opened the door for my belief. Yep. We get so serious about taking ourselves too seriously. Oh, do we ever. And I mean, we're recording this sitting in, in my study, which is currently 10 feet from the window, which is currently 10 feet from a construction zone. Yeah. And, you know, there's construction workers walking by, looking in and dropping things outside. I'm sure the audio is not the greatest. And and yet here we are. And I, I just hope that it, it does come across as honest, raw. Well, we are who like we are. That. And plus, this is our own home city. We can't pretend we're anything special. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're, we're like here where people really know us. And yeah, it when is... you fly to Toronto and speak, you, oh, pe- yeah, people pretend, think you're great. I, <laughs> I know how that goes. But I'm here where everybody knows I'm just as normal as anyone else. Shayla, this is so encouraging. Thank you for taking time Thanks, Brett, uh, for out of me. your very busy schedule that I do know is very busy to actually uh, pour into us so that we might grow. Um, just so thankful for you and the gift you are to the church uh, at large and uh, really thankful to know you and to be in that orbit of some of the alpha staff that are in Vancouver and and the different things that are going on. It's a really encouraging group to be around. And so thanks for the way you lead and and the way you've modeled all of us. Well, thank you for having me. And, you know, we're just here to serve the church. We want to see the church flourish in our country and we hope you can continue to do that. We love what you're doing here at Christ City. We love what's happening in Vancouver. But we're also championing uh, churches across the country, whether you're small or large, rural, suburban. Uh, we are right in the urban center. We want to serve you. And if we can do that, it's our pleasure. We want to see Jesus lifted high. And we just praying that more people in the churches join the conversation the Holy Spirit's already having with their loved ones, whether it's their work colleague, family, or friend. God's at work, and we get the great privilege of joining him. Amen. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Brett. Here Be Dragons is a podcast of Christ City Church in Vancouver. You can find us online at herebedragonspodcast.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Dragon Podcast.